Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at Remax Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now. What's going on? Happy hump day, everybody. It's here. It's arrived. We are midway through. Almost over it. It's good. The hell's going on here? It's, uh, what, minus two overnight tonight? If you're one of our listeners from America where it's traditionally consistently a lot warmer than it is here. Usually Toronto's good. We've got the same climate as New York City. Yeah. But we're in a brutal spring right now where it's so wavy. It was like 25 degrees in parts of Ontario a couple of days ago, and it went below zero last night. It was. It's insane. How I, I literally got a bit of a sunburn on Sunday. Like a little bit of a sunburn on Sunday, and here we are. It's cold. Uh, It is, for those who are in this area, going to jump back up a little bit. Highs in the mid-teens and sunshine all the way through the weekend, which for a lot of people is the most important part, right? What's it going to be like on the weekend? So, not too bad. You are not going to stick around for the whole episode today, and this is probably going to be a shorter episode because of that very fact. Uh, so yeah. you're, how long can you stay? Are you going to stay like uh, what, an hour or two hours? <laughs> an hour or two hours, you know, the typical runtime of the podcast. Now, I don't know, I can stay for like 10, 10, 15 or something. And then I apologize. I got to bounce, but I promise we'll do like a, a longer edition tomorrow. Okay. Uh, a couple things. Let's get to it. If you were hoping for transparency from the Trudeau government on the use of the Emergencies Act, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, Just yesterday, we talked about how the government has called the public inquiry as they were required to do, but there was speculation about whether or not they were going to invoke cabinet confidentiality, Mm -hmm. which basically allows them to keep anything they want secret. And there's no review process for that. You, You don't have to go and prove that it's confidential cabinet stuff. You just have to declare it cabinet confidential and no one can have access to it yesterday canada's justice minister was speaking to the committee the house of commons committee about the government's use of the emergencies act david lametti was asked questions about federal consultations with provinces before he declared it and a few other things too he repeatedly invoked cabinet confidentiality wouldn't give up a thing Hmm. okay so far the government has produced no evidence that there was an actual national security threat, as they claimed there was at the time, and the blockades themselves. Remember that that claim that it was crippling Canada's supply chain and, oh, my God, the whole country's going to go bankrupt if we don't get this cleared right away. Uh, The February numbers are in, and imports into Canada were actually up that month. Okay, yeah, interesting. And it hasn't been that way. It's true. We didn't really get a chance to touch back on that because it did seem like it was an issue for a while. But that was also COVID-related, let's not forget. Like, it's not necessarily supply chain based on what you can and can't get through. A shit ton of it. And there still is a ton of illnesses, right? So, I mean, that's going to continue to happen. Funny you mentioned that. It seems like things are getting better. I mean, earlier this week, even, there was a lot of people off. Last week was crazy. And I'm thinking it's probably going to continue for another week or two with the excessive absences. But generally speaking, seems like a lot of people have had it this month or last. They're recovering and coming back to work just as they should. That's good. 
That is good. And you know what? Once it's through, once it's through you and in your system, it's like you probably feel a little bit better about it anyway. Or knowing, because for me, when I'm hearing what I'm hearing, especially when it comes to schools and uh, daycare settings and work settings generally is, yeah, we all kind of already got it. So we feel a little bit okay. But don't forget there's other stuff going around too. There certainly is. We still have the flu going around. There's still other chest, you know, like infections of sorts. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of that can stem from COVID too. Oh, absolutely. You can get, you know what I mean? You can get infections after the fact. Um, you know, you can get earaches and you can get uh, many other different types of things. So we're moving through this weird like illness portion uh, of, of, of the year. But hopefully, I mean, I have a good feeling about May. Let's put it that way. We, uh, oh, by the way, one more thing. Are you concerned at all? Because I know you've got young kids about this weird liver virus that's hepatitis version of a virus that's going around now and affecting children all around the world? I mean, sure, that's always concerning when you tell me that there's a virus, uh, you know, infecting children around the world. I feel like I would like to know more information about it and I haven't taken the time to do that yet and I'm not sure how much they know. Well, I don't know that they know much and our epidemiologists are very concerned with being political right now as opposed to studying the viruses that are threats to public health. So I don't know when they're gonna come out and give people some proper guidance on it. The first case was discovered in Scotland, and now they're popping up all over the world, including here in Canada. It's a mysterious attack on the liver of young children. They call it a version of hepatitis, but they're not sure what the source of this is. So they are investigating. Parents, it's something to keep an eye on, and we will certainly flag any cases here that come up that are of interest to you. Johnny Depp was in court again yesterday. and (laughs) Scott, this trial is... More entertaining than any, well, definitely more entertaining than any uh, Amber Heard movies I've ever seen. And maybe right up there was some of the most entertaining stuff from Johnny Depp. The trial itself. I did not think we would be talking about it this much. I thought there'd be a lot of like, blah, 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 like boring stuff that happened. And maybe we'll get to a couple of good things. It's been good every day. By that, I mean entertaining. So entertaining. I'll, t- I'll give you a rundown of what happened yesterday. All once again in Johnny's favor. But keep in mind, these are witnesses brought up by Johnny and his team. Okay. So first of all, an LAPD officer that responded to a call of domestic abuse in 2016 against uh, Johnny uh, for Amber says when she arrived, she found zero signs her had suffered any physical abuse and seemed to indicate that she found the whole situation strange and something was definitely off. And then there was Amber's lawyer. Can we play? Can we play this? Oh, my God. We got it. It's, Amber's lawyer has we played yesterday for you the fact that all he did one of one of her attorneys i think there's a couple but the attorney was reading off tabloid headlines so then you think he would end there right no he objected against himself during his own line of questioning that's right a lawyer in court objected to his own question listen to this you didn't know what could cause damage to mr depp's hand while you were there on march 8th correct dr kipper told me he sustained an injury on one of his well, fingers. Uh, rejection, Here's, hearsay. Wait, you, you asked the question. Okay. okay. Next question. Okay, he said he sustained a, an injury to his finger. Yes. That was the judge reminding the lawyer, uh, it was your own question you just objected to, you asshole. And as a judge doing, I don't know how long this judge has done what, is doing what she's doing for and how long she's been there, but of all the things, she's probably thinking, are you serious? Are you for real right now? Get your shit together. And then, and then there's this. I want to play this real quick too. 
So a forensic psychologist testified yesterday. After questioning Amber Heard for 12 hours, she came to the conclusion that she suffers from borderline personality disorder and something I learned about, histrionic personality disorder. You know, some of that, and I'll, I'll let you hear what that really means about Amber in a sec, according to her, but some of that also, the histrionic personality is taking on the personality of your of your victim and the dress, the way they dress, their mannerisms. And Twitter, Scott, was so quick to point out the amount of times that Amber started to dress like Johnny and look like Johnny. Now, that could be coincidental, could be not. But this is according to, again, an actual psychologist. Listen to this. We spent 12 hours directly with one another. One of the primary things I learned was that she had a very sophisticated way of minimizing any personal problems, externalization of blame, tending to have a lot of inner hostility that is attempted to be controlled. There can be actually a lot of cruelty. Usually with people who are less powerful, they can react violently, they can react aggressively, they will often physically prevent their partner from trying to leave. Sometimes they act in a kind of a girlish way to be cute and to gender attention, but they can be actually very, very destructive. But mostly we call this administrative violence. So essentially this is saying that they'll make threats using the legal system. So they might say that they are going to file a restraining order or claim abuse. That person goes from being idealized, the perfect person, to dumpster. Dumpster. To dumpster. That was she actual call... expert testimony in court. Did she just basically, in a roundabout way, call Amber a dumpster? She is a dumpster <laughs> at this point. This whole thing. Johnny Depp was brilliant to want this televised because the truth is coming out. Amber's lawyer appears to be a fucking moron. Is law school too easy now? Are we just graduating anybody? That's a lawyer that objected to his own question. Nope. Then an expert comes in and says, yeah, Amber's basically a dumpster fire. Like she's going through a ton of shit and she's projecting it onto Johnny here. And why are we even here for this? It's her problem, not his. That's essentially what she's saying. Yeah, I'm, there's, all, there's all kinds, by the way, of reports that Amber Heard's lawyer wanted to quit and even threatened to quit at times. And I'm not sure if that was because of the way Amber was handling things with him, with him or whether that had to do with this trial as a whole. It's a lot of pressure. So that I do, I don't know what it's like, right? So I would assume it's a lot of pressure. My question is, I mean, you got a lot of money, Amber. You can't hire someone who can, who can at least go along with some bullshit for you and try. Spend to- the money, get a good lawyer. Ugh. Anytime you need legal representation, go get the best. Not the cheapest, not the first one that came up on Google. Get the best. Do your research. Don't get a lawyer that would object to their own question. Objection. <laughs> so bad. Objection. Are we at time here? You got to go. Yeah, I do have to. I do have to ski daddle. I know you have some fun stuff. So stick around, guys. Scott has. Is it Teresa Tam that you're going to bring up today? <laughs> yeah, she did a news conference on Friday, and I just want to play a little bit of it before I play Dr. Fauci's interview from PBS last night. Right now, of course, within the Canadian context, Omicron BA2 is going strong. And so, and you're going to be traveling with a group of people in a, uh, a certain environment. I think it is prudent to continue to uh, require wearing a mask. Um, again, it takes the guesswork out of you know the traveler. Everybody's going to be wearing a mask. It's an additional layer of protection. It can reduce transmission. Why not? I mean, it has a certain amount of inconvenience, perhaps, but it does not 
essentially restrict travel as such. So I think it's um, it's a one of the least intrusive, but um, uh, measures, but adds definitely another layer of protection. Also on flights, uh, I mean, I know you've been asked many times about whether or not you think three vaccine doses of a booster dose should be the definition of fully vaccinated. But at least for the purposes of air travel, given what we know about the the um, decline in effectiveness of just the two-dose regimen, should three doses not now be required in order to fly? But first of all, what you said is really important. And any adult, 18 plus, should go and get a booster. Um, and everyone should get their vaccine up to date uh, based on your eligibility. So that's really important. And as I said, BA2 Omicron is going strong and there's activities all over the world. So get your booster. In terms of an actual requirement, on the other hand, that's a policy that needs to be examined and it, it's, it will be examined by our decision makers, the, the ministers in charge. So um, I think for sure, three doses in the era of Omicron uh, is really important to have. Whether you require or not, that's a different policy uh, decision and, and analysis. But any traveler, before you go traveling overseas or even across Canada, please go and get boosters. That's going to really help protect you, but also others around you. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what she means by that last part. I don't know what she means. Let's go back again to what the CDC in America says about the vaccines preventing transmission to others. But what about uh, all the fully vaccinated people who get the breakthrough infection? Can they pass it on? Could they pass it on to their children? Could they pass the virus on to older people, especially more vulnerable people with the underlying health conditions? And that's exactly the point that we made in our guidance. So yes, they can with the Delta variant. And that was the reason that we changed our guidance last Tuesday. Um, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. Well, there we go. That aside, let's go to America now. Dr. Anthony Fauci. The head of the U.S. coronavirus response was doing an interview yesterday on PBS, and he was asked about the state of the pandemic right now. And one of the things that I'm really hoping that you pay attention to here is the massive difference between Dr. Tam and Dr. Fauci, the difference between Canada and America. In Canada, well... The masks will help reduce transmission. It's not that inconvenient. Just just wear them. It's it, it, Just do it. And, and get a shot. Please get a shot. You got to get a shot. Shot, 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 shot. Get a shot. Well, they're singing a very different tune in America. Listen to this. This out and ask you, here we are. It's the end of April. It's the spring of 2022. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? Well, that's an unanswerable question for the following reason. And, and I don't want to be evasive about it, but let me tell you why I'm giving you that answer, Judy. We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. Namely, we don't have 900,000 new infections a day and tens and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths. We are at a low level right now. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. What we hope to do, I don't believe, and I've, and I've spoken about this widely, 
we're not going to eradicate this virus. If we can keep that level very low and intermittently vaccinate people, and I don't know how often that would have to be, Judy, that might be every year, that might be longer in order to keep that level low. But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. Pandemic means a widespread throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people. So if you look at the global situation, there's no doubt this pandemic is still ongoing. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you very much. Thank you, Judy. Good to be with you. There's Dr. Fauci saying that the U.S. is out of the pandemic phase. By every measure, Canada has handled COVID better than America. Per capita, look at the numbers. We've done pretty well. How is the U.S. out of it? Or are they out of it? Are we out of it? Or are they just saying, without saying, move on. Stop beating this dead horse. Let's move on. Tam is refusing on the masks. Yeah, it's a little inconvenient, but fuck it, just wear it. Fauci's like, the pandemic is over. We're out of the pandemic phase. That's exactly what he just said. Really is time to move on. And we're going to as well. I, uh, I know. You're a little sick of hearing about COVID. So am I. I really am. I really wish we could move on. And, and I think this is the best way to do it. Yesterday, we talked about the somewhat of a dispute between BlogTO and Barstool. Dave Portnoy in Toronto for the week. Well, on a podcast, the Dave Portnoy show, and and I'll give him a plug. He has a podcast. You're welcome to listen to it. He had on the editor from BlogTO. I want to play this portion because it kind of brings into perspective exactly what happened where BlogTO was allegedly calling business owners saying, yeah, I don't know if you want to deal with that guy. Listen to Portnoy. Okay. Lauren O'Neill, right? That's me. So we went back and forth. First of all, so I for the background, I, we talked about it a little bit. I'm in Toronto for the week uh, promoting the score and eating pizza because I eat pizza everywhere <laughs> I go. So I have a laundry list of places that have reached out. I've asked for recommendations and I started eating the pizza. So I'm on my way. I do my two pizza reviews. And then I start getting forwarded an article from um, Blog T.O., and it's basically like controversial figure Dave Portnoy coming to, to Toronto to eat pizza. Fine, I can live with that. But what seemingly had happened is BlogTO had started calling local pizza places and being like, what, you, you, pizza places that have reached out, like the ones I weren't even aware of that were mentioned, but had reached out somehow being like, hey, Dave, come eat pizza here. And then somebody called and was like, are you aware of these guy, this guy's like controversies, allegations? Do you still want him to come eat pizza? Two of which were like, well, we didn't know that. We no longer extend our invite. One of which since has been like, that's not what we said. That's been taken out of context. Um, they did the, an Instagram post being like, we love you, Dave. This is, we've been wildly misrepresented. So I went on a blog war back and forth and to your credit, because most of the times these things happen, nobody's willing to go on and talk about it. So you were the editor who assigned the story. Yeah, so I'm the senior news editor of BlogTO, and what we do is essentially cover the city, everything that's going on in the city, and a huge focus of ours is the food scene. So, I, I mean, we saw that you were in town seeing different restaurants reach out, and it's like, wow, Dave Portnoy is here for the Red Sox game, and he's a huge pizza influencer. 
you know, and an influential media figure, we should write something about this. So um, I assigned the story to one of our writers who actually specializes in food writing and um, restaurant reviews and stuff like that. And I think they were just trying to do their due diligence and reaching out to restaurants and being like, hey, we want comment. Are you aware of this? Um, I think in the course of her research, she kind of saw that there were some pretty serious allegations, not proven in court or anything. But so she wanted to um, raise that to them and just kind of get their take on it. And, you know, to be fair, some of the restaurants were like, we don't care. We like his pizza reviews. Like one of them even said, he's like, we'll leave that for court to decide. So we had no intention of just like doing a hit piece on you. It was more of like a, wow, big time pizza guy is in Toronto. Restaurants are thirsty for this American celebrity to try their pie. Um, and I think when it came out, uh, the way that your audience, <laughs> your very, very loyal audience members took it to be a little like we were doing just a slam piece and, and they've since kind of come at us, which is fine. We're used to it. Like this stuff happens, but I just wanted to set the record straight and be like, she was just doing her job um, in writing that story. It wasn't like a personal vendetta or anything like that. I mean, it was literally just doing research and reporting on what she found. But I guess my question is, if you're a, like, first of all, people can say anything about anybody, right? So there are serious allegations. I feel like I've done a very good job of proving them not to be true. And I'm actually suing Business Insider because they're just not, they're patently false. But from a reporter angle, if you pick up the phone and somebody's like, so I saw you reach out to Dave Portnoy. Do you know this, 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 this about him? All serious. Like you're kind of putting in my mind that local pizzeria in a box. Like what are they, what are they supposed? I assume they're totally caught off guard. Like what are they supposed to say? And for the most part, my pizza views can change the trajectory if I like it. And so, most of the time, even if I don't like it, it helps, but can literally change the course for a small business. What is the advantage of, like, if someone called me out of the blue and, and, and like, hey, do you know the devil's coming to your pizza restaurant? You really want them? Like, what did you, that's why I do think it's a hippies. What, what kind of angle were you expecting or what's the answer that you're hoping to get from these people? So. I'm not really sure what answer uh, the reporter was expecting. I just know that she was kind of doing her journalistic due diligence in just raising it and be like, listen, you're publicly supporting this person who has these unproven allegations. And we did mention in the story that you've defended them, you deny them, um, that, you know, it's co a controversial kind of polarizing figure. Are you aware of that? Um, I do recognize that your pizza reviews have the ability to make and bake businesses. And uh, we have like, so many businesses in Toronto that have been shutting down because of the pandemic were very happy like for any business to get exposure. And that's a lot of what we do. So I don't think the idea was ever to villainize or kind of put. The so so was, I, I don't know what the reporter said, which I, I by the way, I noticed her name and I won't mention it. You guys asked me not to, but it was on the article then taken off, which I don't think is fair. But if did when when it was called, I can't ask her. Hey, this is the guy. Are you excited that the guy who raised $40 million for local business is coming to your restaurant? Was that said? I can tell you what was said um, in some cases because it happened on Instagram. Uh, we talked to a lot of our restaurants there. So it was basically like just reaching out. As I saw you commented on Dave Portnoy's post offering a pizza. I'm writing a post about the visit. Would like to get comment from you on whether you're a fan of his. If you know about the allegations against him and if they affect your desire for him to visit your restaurant and try your food. That was it. And and so Ambassador Pizza had actually said that they to us, they had said 
what they said happened on Instagram is not what happened. Like they had responded to us. There might've been a miscommunication, but they essentially were just like, oh, we're really busy with the lunch rush. We'll give you a statement later. We'll give you a statement. And they're like, oh, we have pulled our post. That's it. Um, I, I don't know. Like it, this was the restaurant's decision to make. I think that a lot of restaurants were just like, we don't care. Um, but but uh, even what you said, like, there's a ton of negative press about me, but there's a ton of positive press about me. By what you just read, the only thing you really said to them was negative. I understand how it would look like that. I mean, the intention <laughs> with uh, assigning the story, and, and I'm sure writing the story was more to just be like, I, I think you were portrayed as, it was written neutrally, but you're portrayed as like a pizza celebrity. There's a big time pizza critic coming to town and this is how Toronto restaurants are reacting. And so I think that the author felt it was kind of just due diligence to mention that like, you are a controversial figure. Uh, Barstool is controversial. Uh, you know, while it's very, very successful, there are people who hate on your media outlet. And, and I mean, the reason we had to take the writer's name off of it was because you also have very, very many fans and, and they were kind of going after her. So which I think is fair. Said. Like, I, I, I do think that like she, she, puts her name on something. Again, when you say it's two sides, it's like the headlines, Toronto restaurants offering controversial Barcelona sports press, Dave Portnoy pizza. It mentions all the controversies. Um, there is no, like to me, what I, again, I think I've done a very good job brewing faults. I think a, the, the most signature thing I've done in a food beverage restaurant industry is like the Barstool Fund, which again, it was $40 million is a lot of money. I would argue, there's, I'm sure there's people who've done as much or similar. What I did in that industry was as big as anybody that I'm aware of that has done over the course of COVID. There's no mention of that to the restaurants to call up and, and instead focus on the negative stuff, which again, I deny without me being able to do it. It puts these places in a box. I don't know how anyone rationally looking at that article can be like, well, no, we weren't trying to do that to the restaurants and we weren't, w there was no agenda to try to make you look bad. Like you, right. there's plenty of people who can write articles that pizza critic Dave Portnoy is coming and talk about everything I've done in that without turning it into a negative light, which I clearly think is what this article did. I think um, it's important to realize, like, uh, you make a fair point. I, I get what you're saying, totally. Um, the industry that we work in is very, hate clicks sell, rage clicks sell. You know, people want to read stuff about controversy. So if we put controversial, you know, American pizza guy is in the headline, that is going to get a lot more attention than, like, you know, really nice dude who does all of this great stuff is coming to Toronto. Like, you know how it is. And and I I don't think we ever meant to throw you under the bus on that, but I, I don't think that we also realized that you would even see it. Like you're, we're on Toronto blog. You're like the president, El Presidente. So I, I think sometimes when we write about influential and um, famous figures, we can maybe, and not us, like a lot of outlets can kind of sometimes just glaze over um, the good aspects in the interest of making a story spicy and shareable. There you have it. There you have it, right from an editor, an influencer in Toronto media. Clickbait, controversy sells, negativity sells. That's what gets hits. That's what generates revenue. Good news doesn't sell. Highlighting good people doesn't do anything for their business model. They go after the bad. Now, I'm going to give BlogTO credit 
for owning up to it. I forget the name of the editor, but uh, it seems like she truly did want to apologize. I certainly don't think she wants any of the negative publicity that Barstool is sorry, that blog to is getting right now because of their Barstool article. But let's be fair. Portnoy didn't ask for this. He came to this country, wanted to offer some exposure, wanted to watch some baseball and then piss off back to America. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Why did that article need to go in that direction? Is BlogTO apologizing now as a mea culpa to try and get the controversy to stop? Did they really think they could write a negative article and he wouldn't even see it? They could just get the clicks, take the money to the bank and carry on with their day? It's very, very frustrating, the time that we live in. It's very frustrating that that is how even the media is now publicly acknowledging that that's how they get hits. That's how they make money, by negativity, by divide, by controversy, by trying to stoke fear, anger, and get an emotional reaction out of you. It's very frustrating that that's where we find ourselves in 2022. Good on Dave for going after them. Good on Dave for having them on the podcast and giving them an opportunity to explain. The explanation, again, full credit to the editor. She did take it. She owned up to what happened. She offered an explanation that I thought was a little ridiculous, but it still happened. The damage is done. I don't know how many people are going to watch or listen to that podcast, but I know a lot of people read the article. And that's the sort of shit that has to stop. It's got to stop. It's very, very frustrating. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As we continue the theme of moving on, a whole bunch of other things that I want to get to in this episode. By the way, Kat has left the podcast for today. She had some uh, family stuff that she had to deal with, and, and that's totally fine. Uh, we'll do our best to make this as long as we can. And like I said, there are a couple of things I want to cover. Heinz is in the news. They say they were inspired by something that they saw on TikTok, and they wanted to figure out how they could parlay that into a business. I don't know who the fuck did this, but somebody was dipping their hamburger, a burger, in crushed up potato chips. So Heinz comes up and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create the good old-fashioned dip and crunch. It's a new product that they tested out at restaurants on the U.S. West Coast. And it was so well received there that they're going to go nationwide with it and eventually worldwide with it. Basically, they're going to sell you sauce. It'll either be a hot sauce or the secret sauce. You're going to take your burger. 
you're going to dip it in the sauce. Then you're going to dip it in a little container of crushed up potato chips. And they say this could work for a sandwich too, but they're going to put the emphasis on the burgers because the burger market is massive around the world. Dip and crunch. They're actually going to market and sell you what was unsellable. The crushed up chips in the bottom of the bag. They figured out a way to do it. Here's just a little bit of the promo. Don't dip that. Mm -mm, Don't dip it in there. Oh, don't do that. Wrong. Oh, not again. Oh, wait. With chips? Oh, right. The slogan is, so wrong, it's right. You into this? You want that? You want to dip your burger, which is already delicious, by the way. I think we can all agree that when it comes to comfort food or convenience or a snack on the go, a burger hits the mark every single time. But no, we got to make it better. We got to take it to the next level. They got to figure out a way to charge us even more money to enjoy the exact same burger. You know what this reminds me of? And I've used this example before because I still find this phenomenon fascinating. When I was growing up, yeah, we're going back in the day here, kids. When I was growing up, if you wanted a slice of pizza, you just got a slice of pizza. That was it. And at the time, pizza was goddamn delicious. Still is to this day. Everybody loves pizza. But somehow, somebody came up with the idea. Guys, you know what? Right now, we're making about four fifty dollars a slice. If we sold these suckers a little bit of sauce to dip their pizza in for a dollar a piece or 50 cents a piece, boom, we can increase our revenue. Huge. And lo and behold, we find ourselves at a time right now where more people than not can't eat a slice of pizza without some sort of a sauce to dip the pizza in. And that's what they're trying to do to burgers as well. Burgers were great, but no, great's not good enough anymore. Now we got to upsell a little bit. We got to add on a, a, an add on here, an upsell. And we're going to make even more money off that burger by selling people the sauce that we would probably just put on the burger for free anyway. And the crushed up chips from the bottom of the bag that everybody just throws out anyway, or tries to jam in their mouth all in one big handful at the end of a bag of chips. I don't know why we keep falling for this stuff, but I, I shouldn't even knock it. Actually, I, maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I should try it before I knock it. I just keep thinking of that example of pizza. Pizza was great. There was no way that you could improve pizza. Oh, hold my beer. Here comes the dipping sauce. We're going to sell you a dipping sauce on top of it. Now people can't eat pizza without a dipping sauce. It's bizarre to me. Just bizarre. Great article in the Daily Mail yesterday that I want to highlight for you. This will be of particular importance if you are in a relationship. A relationship expert. I always wanted to know how you become a relationship expert. Do you have to have a really good relationship on your own? Or do you just have to have been through enough of them that we can put you on expert level? Regardless, an expert on relationships has come up with a list of six things that couples should never do in front of their friends. Now, when I read the headline, I instinctively thought, PDA, no PDA. I don't want to see you guys heavily petting each other and making out right in front of us. But what are the other five? Okay, well, I'm intrigued. 
For couples, this relationship expert says these are the six things. Number one, don't put each other down in front of other people. Uh, I'll throw an asterisk on that. Ever is probably a good idea. But they say don't put each other down in front of other couples. Jokes and sarcasm might be okay, but there's a fine line. Avoid doing anything that might humiliate them in public or in front of friends. They could end up resenting you for it, even if they act like it's cool. Okay, I think that's good advice. Number two, constantly bragging about your relationship. The expert says this one applies even if only one of you is there. If it comes up naturally, fine. But people are going to get sick of you bringing it up on your own, especially your single friends. Number three. We've reached the PDA, the public displays of affection. Again, it gets old fast and it feels awkward, especially if you're out with a third wheel who's on their own. But even if you are out with another couple, yeah, the PDA can be weird, especially if things aren't great in the relationship of the people you're out with. You got to tamp down the PDA, keep it flirty, save the heavy stuff for later on. Number four. Public displays of anger. Another PDA. They say don't be the couple who gets into full-blown fights with your friends there. And definitely don't make them the referee by asking them to back you up on it. You ever been in that situation? Out with another couple or out with friends and they start arguing? Then you get dragged into it somehow? They put you on the spot and say, what do you think? Who's right? Whose side are you on? (laughs) Leave me the hell out of it. Number five, inappropriate flirting. The expert says, be careful about flirting with other people while you're out together, especially their friends. It can happen by accident, even without realizing. Can you be flirting with the other person and not realize it? Or is it just perceived as flirting to someone else? Uh, That one I'll put an asterisk on. The sixth one is marking your territory. They say that one... That one sometimes happens right after inappropriate flirting, but not always. Interrupting conversations, being dismissive, and being overly affectionate can all be forms of marking your territory. It's in the Daily Mail if you want to give it a read. For my fellow whiskey and scotch fans, wow, have I got news for you. A McAllen fan now has enough of their favorite whiskey to share with at least 500 friends, they scooped up a cask of it for nearly $1.2 million. It's the most expensive cask ever sold at auction. A 100-gallon barrel of the renowned spirits was whipped up by the Scottish distillery in 1988, and a man bought it up for $6,300. The buyer apparently had other stuff on his mind for the past three decades as he didn't remember to show up at the distillery and get it until recently they sent out a reminder that the cask was still sitting in one of its warehouses. That owner apparently didn't feel like holding on to his liquor after so many years, so he put it up for auction at the Whiskey Hammer that ended on Sunday. When this cask was listed, this is a quote, when this cask was listed, we knew it had the potential to make history. The site's co-founder, Daniel Milne, said he added casks this age and size are extremely rare, especially from the McAllen. 
The barrel is said to have had enough liquid courage in it to fill 534 700 milliliter bottles. 534 LCBO size bottles. The previous record for a whiskey cash sold at auction, another McAllen barrel in 2021, was only 560,000. This went for just shy of $1.2 million. While we're talking money, a family lost over $6,000 when they ordered room service at their hotel. Uh, I think it was, is it this month or was it last month? Is National Fraud Prevention Month. There's so many scams. You know how many scams there are. Everybody's trying to fuck you. They're trying to screw you over and take your hard-earned money. Most of the time, it's on the internet or on the phone, but occasionally it happens in real life. So I'm going to tell you this story as a public service announcement, a PSA, if you will, because that's what the family wants you to know. They're from Toronto, by the way. So they were staying at a Holiday Inn Express recently. They grabbed the menu and they tried to place an order for room service. They provided dad's credit card info to the staff member over the phone. They say they waited over an hour and a half and no food got delivered. So they called the front desk and said, hey, the hell, where's our food? The hotel had no idea what he was talking about because this man hadn't ordered any room service. As it turns out, what happened was these scammers, these thieves, opened up Photoshop. They made themselves a menu that looked like a room service menu. They slid it under the door. Many hotel rooms inside this facility. When people called to order room service, they took the credit card number and boom, people got screwed. Apparently, the guy who placed the order, once he realized after speaking to the front desk that this was a scam, instantly went and checked his online banking statement. More than $6,000 had been withdrawn in the last hour and a half. $6,000. The fake hotel room service scam is what they call this. They say the best way To protect yourself from this scam is use one of the delivery apps and order it to your hotel or call the front desk to verify that what you're ordering is actually what you're ordering. I'm also going to throw out just a little bit of common sense here. A little bit of common sense could help. When you check into a hotel, you have to give them a credit card number. You leave that credit card on file for those famous incidental charges. When you order room service, most hotels, most modern hotels will just charge it to your room and you settle up your tab when you check out. Most room service facilities aren't asking you for your credit card a second time because they already have your credit card from the first time. Now, I understand you're away, not in your regular routine. Sometimes you're not thinking clearly and shit happens. Protect yourself, everybody. Like I said, it feels like it's just us sometimes. There's nobody really protecting us from some of these unsavory assholes that are out there trying to scam us. But they're out there and they really want your money. Don't let them have it. Don't fall for these scams. And that's exactly what they are. Scams. One last thing I want to do on this episode of After 9. I think everybody knows I'm a golfer. I'm really excited about playing this year. I just don't know when that opportunity will ever come because, well, as you know, the weather is just trash. This is a couple from Massachusetts. 
that recently sued a country club that's right near their property. They've lived there for four years. Eric and Athena are their name. They moved into that home, which they purchased for $750,000 in Indian Pond Estates in 2017. They claim, and this is just an average based on the number of golf balls that hit their house every single day, that over four years, probably about 600 balls from nearby Indian Pond Country Club have hit their house. They say they've got dented walls and broken windows. Apparently, they and their three daughters have stopped replacing the shattered windows and just covered it with thick plastic instead because it's easier and cheaper to do it that way. They went to court and they won. They went to court and the Plymouth County Superior Court jury awarded them for the damage to their $750,000 house $4.93 million. Jurors found the club was at fault for not protecting the home from errant golf balls. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) And I'm saying this as not a, a pro golfer by any stretch, but a pretty good golfer. I can turn in a respectable score and getting better every year. Occasionally shit happens. Occasionally, no matter how good you are, you're going to shank one that's going to go a little off course. I get it. It's understandable. But two things about that. Number one, every single golf course you play, every one of them has a sign somewhere on the property, likely in the clubhouse or at the first tee that says you, the golfer, are responsible for the damage of your golf shot. Meaning if you hit it offline, if you hit these poor people's home, you're responsible for the damage. It's kind of hard to track down which golfer did it. I've got friends that live near a golf course, and yeah, they have balls that land on their lawn all the time. Occasionally, one might come close or even hit the house, but you can't tell who hit the ball, and it's not like if you walk over to the tee block, people are standing up, raising their hands, saying, ooh, ooh, I'm the one who broke your house. Oh, I'm the one who broke your window or dented your car. They don't do that. So it's hard to track down who's at fault. I don't blame the family for going after the country club. But one other thing I would say is if you hit a ball so far off your line that it shanks that far and hits a house, a house that's at least the golf course, a road and a lawn away, you got to go back to the range. You got to go and get yourself a nice little one hour session or buy yourself a large bucket of balls and figure out what the fuck you're doing. If you hit a ball that far offline, with all due respect, you probably shouldn't be playing on a golf course yet. It's probably not a good idea. You should likely find yourself uh, a place to practice until you can straighten out that drive because, frankly, that's fucking ridiculous. Now, should the golf club be responsible? I don't know about that one. $4.93 million? I definitely don't know about that one, but that's how it went down. I'd also like to point out that the golf course was there long before this family moved into that home. This is kind of like those people that buy a house in Brampton or Mississauga and then start complaining about all the noise from the airplanes landing. 
You were the one who moved next to an airport. Did you not think that there would be airplane noises? In, in the same vein, if you buy a house right next to a golf course, I would think, just me, there's a reasonable expectation that you're probably going to end up with a few golf balls on your lawn. Uh, I would just keep the golf balls. Some of those things are going for like eight bucks a ball right now. They might have had $4.93 million in inventory. Hopefully they hung on to them and hopefully they are selling them to other hackers that are passing by. And on that, I will say thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. Kat's definitely going to be back tomorrow. Uh, Like I said earlier, it was just a thing that she had to check out a bit early. But she will be here tomorrow. We will have lots more fun and get you back on track. Have a fantastic hump day. Stay warm. And remember to hit subscribe. Maybe leave a review. It'd be great. Everybody is still talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter for $44 billion. Yep, first Tesla and now Twitter. It's amazing how much money you can save when you don't have to pay for gas, isn't it? A woman in California recently survived being stranded inside her car in the snow for nearly a week by eating one yogurt per day. And unfortunately for the rescue team, it was Activia. Hey, get this. A uh, family in Massachusetts won $5 million from a lawsuit against a country club after their property was hit with over 600 golf balls. Family was like, you know, when we moved directly next to a golf course, we had no idea that this could happen. Officials in New York are reportedly considering allowing pizzerias and other restaurants to sell cannabis-infused foods. Oh, they only come here if they're already high, said Papa John. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it.